0: All right. G'day. Uh, My name's Brad. Um, If you're new or visiting, I'm the senior pastor, leader, person here. (sighs) Special welcome. Hey, I've got uh, multiple um, things going on here. We're gonna have a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, which is then in paper form and then I've got notes and I'm gonna be controlling it from here. So if I get tangled up and uh, it's, that's just gonna be how it is today. Um, the message for today is the gospel of the kingdom. This is one of my um, uh, like key areas of interest. It's a, it's a thing I've spoken on many, many times in many different ways for many, many years. Um, over and over and over again. Uh, and so, but hopefully, it's not gonna feel like that today. Uh, it's not gonna be, um, you know, boring or like you've heard it before. Uh, because what I have found in, poor um, oh, 17 years of pastoral ministry. And you go, wow, you're old. I've, I've, been a, I've been in full-time ministry as a pastor since I was 21. So there you go, I'm only 38. Surprise, surprise. Um, surprise. <laughs> I know I don't look at, again, 17 years of full-time ministry. So uh, it all makes sense now. Um, but what I have discovered in that time is that you can say the same thing over and 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 over, and over again. And sometimes it's just, it drops and people are like, oh, that's amazing. That's great. I've never heard that before. And, uh, and so, again, what this feels like is now God is, has brought us into a season. I said this, I think, during our staff meeting the other week. I was like, finally, God's talking about things that I wanna talk about, um, which isn't true. You can laugh more than what Beth did. It's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Um, but there's things where I'm like, this is like my stuff. But then to talk about it in the season where it has such relevance for us, and I think the, the broader church in this whole kind of reset thing, the whole global COVID Shut down, lockdown, reshaping, reset all of that sort of stuff that's going on. And for me, I think this is a key message because it will, it really does determine the fruitfulness of what we do as God's people uh, in His kingdom living for Him. And so I'm going to talk to you about the gospel of the kingdom, which is the gospel that Jesus preached. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And what I'm gonna touch on a little bit today is that maybe the gospel that is most normal for us to hear in the church, or the, the gospel that we would preach most, um, you know, kind of normally in, in evangelical life, uh, is maybe not the fullest and, uh, and, and truest form of the gospel that we could preach and could proclaim, and there are implications associated with that. So I'll get into all of those things. But I often, you know, like to ask the question and ask the question of people, what are the measures of success for our lives? If we were to look at, at the end of my life, what would a successful life look like? And I think the world would determine and tell us a whole lot of things that would say this is what success looks like. But for a Christian, there are measures of success that would say this is what it's going to look like for me to get to the end of my life and to be successful, I think one of those is when Jesus says that people will stand before him and he'll say to people, well done, good and faithful servant. It's the word that the father spoke over Jesus at his baptism. When he came up out of the water, he said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. It's this pleasure of God. It's our faithfulness in pursuing Him. It's in the book of John where it talks about abiding in the vine and being faithful. And when we are faithful, God is fruitful. But there is something of us just being faithful to God that's really, really important to Him. But to get to the end of my life and say, and for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant, I'll feel like, well, that's, that's what I want to aim for. If Jesus said, this is what's going to be told to you at the end of your life, either when He returns or when you stand before Him, when you die and He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Then that's clearly something that we should be aiming for. And in everything that we do, then we look at, well, what's the end game and how do I work my life backwards to start that I'm moving towards faithfulness? And there are so many things that God calls us to be. One of those is to be transformed into the likeness of his son, to be transformed, to become more and more like Jesus. So we'd say, well, that's again, another goal of my life. Maybe for some people, the goal of their life is, well, I just wanna get to heaven one day. Hopefully when I die, I'll make it through the pearly gates and I won't get struck down, but I'll get you know, kind of welcomed in. Another question would be, well, what are the measures of success for God's church? So for God's people corporately, what is he calling us? What is the most important thing? Because what often happens is we live by cultural measures of success in the church. We look at, well, what's most normal, um, you know, things that we kind of do that people say, this is what it looks like to be a successful church, Oftentimes it's related to, you know, how many people are gathering together in a space. So leaders of churches that would be considered successful are leaders who have the largest numerical churches, or maybe who have the biggest buildings, or the most far-reaching ministries, or, you know, have the most attendees at their conference, whatever it might be. That would be a measure of success. And so for me, I'm kind of okay to say, well, to ask the question, is that actually God's measure of success. Is that what God would look at and say, yeah, no, you just, I just want you to be packing out stadiums and, uh, and filling things and having bigger, more elaborate buildings. And really, if you could get yourself a private jet, then when you fly into heaven one day and your private jet and the doors open, you come down the steps, that's when I'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've reached the pinnacle of the Christian life. We laugh, but, (laughs) you know, maybe part of us, we just kind of look at what is culturally normative in the church and we try and build towards that. But I wonder whether there's actually some other things that God would say, this is what it looks like to be successful. And it's actually to fulfill the call that God has put on our life um, as Christians and corporately as the church. So that would be to go and make disciples of all nations. So success for the church is discipling nations. And that's people and whole people groups being discipled into the fullness of Christ. It's baptizing people, immersing people. This is the Great Commission, immersing people into the reality of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's teaching people to obey. So not just that they would know and speak out words with their mouth, but they would live in a different way in accordance with the ways of God. That the whole earth would start to look like heaven. That's God's desire that heaven would come to earth that means what it's like in heaven where God has all authority and whatever he says happens, that on earth, the same thing would happen. That's God's measure of success. And unfortunately, I think sometimes when we just draw people and try and pack into a building, but unless they're leaving that building and going out and transforming the world around them, the church really isn't having that much of an impact. And I believe that our understanding of what the gospel is A right understanding of that actually will determine how much of an impact that we have the church has on the world. Because I believe that God wants to transform the earth. I believe that Jesus wants to be Lord of all people, all nations, all people groups. He is jealous for the nations. He wants all people to come under His Lordship. He wants all people to experience the reality of His salvation today. So we are um, in this journey, and I spoke on a couple of weeks ago um, about this idea of uh, the kind of three realms of authority that God would have in our lives. So God is, he is Lord of our personal life, and we are called to be in personal relationship with Jesus. Correct? Amen. And then we are also called to be part of his family. So we're part of God's family, and we belong to his family. We are called children of God. So that's part, again, part of our identity, part of our experience of life is being part of the family of God. And then we're also called to be part of the church of God, which isn't just local church family, but the broader church of God, which is the corporate reality, that we are never just one of those things. I'm never just an individual. This is why when people would say, I I don't really go to a church, I don't belong to a church, I just kind of follow Jesus on my own. And I would say, well, then how do you fulfil all the one anothers of Scripture? I think forty-two different scriptural references in the New Testament where it says something one another, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, bless one another. You can't do that if you are in isolation. Okay. Well, how do you deal with um, you know corporate strongholds and territorial spirits and all this stuff that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians six? Well, it's really hard to do as an individual, and certainly not a battle that I would want to go into on my own. So there are realities as we read through the Scriptures. We understand, okay, so I am, I am, and I have a personal faith journey, and it's really important that I have that. But I'm also part of a local church family, but I'm also part of the broader work of God in our city, in our region, in our nation, and in the nations. God's part of something much, much bigger than whatever is happening here. Now, we have a responsibility to steward what's happening first in me, and then in this family, but then also outside of that. And so within our church community, within our life, within the rhythms of our life, we have things that are designed for personal, we have things that are designed for family, and we have things that are designed for the corporate realm. For us as a church, our Sunday gatherings are part of actually having, trying to have a corporate impact. When we worship, we're not just worshipping us, just loving on God, but we're also coming into a place where we're yielded and obedient, that when God says, I want you to pray into this area, I want you to worship on behalf of these people, I want you to intercede for this region or for the nation or for another nation that we're positioned, it doesn't happen every time or every week, but we are positioned and ready that wherever Holy Spirit wants to lead us, that's where we're gonna go. Okay? So it's just yielded. So when we talk about even warfare and different things like that, it's not that we come on every week, are we gonna have a war? There might not be a war this week. Because he might say, I just want you to rest. And we're like, yes, Lord. But we're yielded. We're, we are positioned, ready to go wherever he wants to go, do whatever he wants to do. Just as Jesus did when he was on the earth, part of being patterned after his likeness is to follow his ways. And we say, Father, what are you doing today? Okay, we're gonna do that. What we preach on, what we teach on, the different seasons that we go through as a church community is all, we're just waiting on God to say, what's next, Lord? And we do that. And then what's next, Lord? And we just move on to that. So what we've also identified then is that where we've had a a really healthy, good focus on family and then we felt like God's saying, okay, I'm gonna move you into the corporate and have a a greater measure of um, impact and influence wider than the local church family. Like okay, I'd also say the prayer room kind of lives in the corporate realm. So you can have family prayer, you can have personal prayer. And I would expect and hope that you would be praying on your own to Jesus. And I would hope and expect that you would be praying with family and friends in this church community in your life hub, you'd be praying there, okay? But then there's also this realm of praying that is not praying my will be done, or my desires be done, but when we come into a space, in corporate prayer is, your will be done. It's not about my needs or my desires, it's about God's needs and God's desires, and we're gonna pray and come into agreement with that. Amen? Does that make a difference? So don't think like, well, the the prayer rooms, I I don't get it, there's not a space where I get to share my prayer needs. Correct. It's not, because it's not designed for that. Now, your needs are really, really important, and I would hope that in spending any time in this community, you would understand my needs, your needs are important to us. We spend hours upon hours upon hours in meetings, strategizing how to love people in this community well, how to help people to journey out of hard seasons into the fullness of life. Like, we just spend so much time and energy because we genuinely love the people in this family. Okay, we are for that. So your needs, your prayer needs are really important, but there's, a, there's different times where we're like, our focus isn't on us. We are coming in to give. Yeah. We're coming in to serve the Lord. So as, as God's wanting to move us from family into corporate more, we felt like God's saying, but in order to do that, we've gotta make sure that we catch up and that no one's left behind in the personal, okay? So we're going to be going into a season where we're gonna teach you and train you how to have a personal devotional life with Jesus. And you might say, well, I've got one. Well, then the hope is it's gonna be better and more amazing and more fulfilling and more fruitful. And you might be like, I've tried that so many times. And like, well, we're just believing that there's gonna be new freshness, new ways, new life. And I think a lot of that even comes as our hearts are transformed as we do this journey with Jesus. Sometimes we're like, what, when I tried something in the past, it didn't really have good fruit, but as he's changed my heart, all of a sudden I do the same thing and it has radically different fruit because the tree is healthier. <laughs> so then there's, produces better fruit, amen? All right, so with, that's like spiritual disciplines, daily rhythms with God, all of that sort of stuff. So we're gonna go back to the personal before then the Lord will move us into a greater measure of corporate impact. Amen? And again, you got to listen. I don't mind if people don't come along on a Sunday, but if you ever miss a Sunday, I really encourage you to listen to the sermon because we build upon things. You know, I can't reference everything I could, but you will be here for days upon days to reference every other sermon that I've said. So everything fits into a context of what's already been said before. Um, But we're talking about this movement. So when we talk about in the corporate, we are talking about serving God in a greater measure. That's all it is. It's not about having dominion or control or anything like that. It's about how, how can we love in a greater capacity the world around us, amen? How can we evangelize more, reach out more, impact more? All right. So when we talk about this kingdom of God and this personal journey and relationship with Jesus, really we're talking about this word discipleship. So as I spoke on the other week, about what is a disciple. So a disciple is a follower of Jesus, one whose whole life is set around wanting to become like the one that they're following. So as you have become a Christian, you've become a disciple of Jesus and the entire dominant intent of your life is to be more like Jesus than you are today. So you might be thinking, oh, oh I didn't, I didn't realise that was the point um, and I can understand why you wouldn't realise that that was the point, And that's possibly because of the gospel that was shared to you when you first came to faith. So if you wanna go back now, see, I'm putting all the pieces together. So we're coming back to the personal, what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And so then it comes down to, well, what is the gospel that we have heard? Or what is the gospel that we are proclaiming to other people? Because the gospel that we believe And the gospel that we preach will determine the life that we lead and the life that other people lead that we preach to. Whatever message it is that becomes the foundation of our life in faith with God, that's going to determine how the rest of my life goes. That sets the trajectory, okay? If I aim an arrow in this direction and I let it go, guess which direction it's going to fly, that direction, whatever the trajectory is set at, okay? But if if the target's over here and I'm aiming over here, there's no way that the arrow is gonna hit the target if I'm aiming in the wrong direction, okay? And I believe that's why it's so important that even that initial journey into faith, the establishment of your relationship with Jesus is so incredibly important because you get that right, it sets the trajectory for the rest of your journey with God. And that is the question, then what are we inviting people into? What do you believe that you have been invited into in this journey with God? Do we even, do we even have a right understanding or we just assume, well, I guess I, I became a Christian and then I guess I just, I, like I go along on Sundays and I read my Bible sometimes and I pray when I remember and I just try and be a good person and, and, and live my life for God. Yeah, does that sound like, that might not be your perspective, but does that sound like what even other people's perspective of the church might be? Oh, yeah, they're just good people. I guess they're nice. They don't do bad things like other people do. They do the really bad things anyway. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> so when we're talking about the gospel, as I've as I said to you a few times before, if we look at the uh, the Etymology behind the word, where does this word gospel come from? Okay, so the word in the Greek is euangelion, okay, and then a, a transliteration. So that's when you take the original language and you, um, you speak it in English or in a different language. You're not translating it, you're transliterating it. <sighs> Some people will enjoy this part of the sermon, okay? You might not be one of those people. Let's encourage you to endure because I'm sure people like me would be going, oh, tell me more. It's homology, speaking my language. And some people are like, I don't know what language you're speaking. So that's okay. So we have the uh, Latin transliteration of evangelium. So they took this word, euangelion in the Greek, and then the church for, for many, 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 many hundreds of years only spoke Latin, and all the priests spoke Latin. So when they translated it from the Greek into the Latin, they would say evangelium. Okay. and that's where we get the english word evangelism okay so euangelion means good news okay that's what the word means the euangelion of the basileia is the good news of the kingdom okay in the greek so it means good news and it's uh, the word eu, eu is good and angelion announcement so it simply means a good announcement it was often used in the cultural times. So this is not a Christian word. This was a cultural word that they understood at the time. So just say uh, you were a, a townsperson and you knew that there was a, a, an army coming to take over your city, okay? And that's bad news. It's not just a change of government. It could mean you're gonna get entirely wiped out and a whole new city is gonna move in where you were or you'd have to live under rule and sla- their rule and slavery and all of that sort of stuff. So it would be a scary time. Your army goes out to meet that army and they have a battle, okay? And then depending on the outcome of that battle, hopefully if you won, a, a runner would come from that army and they would race as fast as they could back to the, your town and they would have a gospel announcement. Okay? And they would pronounce to the whole town, the whole city, the whole area, good news, we won the battle our king is still on the throne, everything is good, okay? Um, Or for other people, it might be bad news um, that it's a new king, um, you know, but they'd come back and like, "Eh, pack up your stuff, we're out of here. But it was good news when there was victory on the battlefield, okay? So again, this is a word that was part of culture that Jesus used and he started to say, talk about the good news of the kingdom of God. So there's good news. It's a royal announcement that the king is here and he's coming to take his place on his throne, okay? Now, again, the disciples thought it meant in in the natural. That's what they were expecting, that the Messiah would come and he would overthrow the Roman government and he would establish the rule and, and reign of God for the Jewish people in that place. So that's why when you look at the disciples' reactions at different times... They're like, they've got swords ready, like they're ready for battle. Like, so when are you gonna take over and sit on your throne? They weren't thinking heavenly realm, they were thinking earthly realm. When you read that, the disciples weren't thinking spiritually, they were thinking naturally. Oh, you've been sent by God and you are going to be king, like literally king, you're gonna sit on a literal throne in our town and be king, and we're gonna sit on either side. You know, it's the the story where the disciples and they're asking, you know, who can sit on your right hand, your left hand, all that sort of stuff. They're not thinking in the the heavenlies. They're thinking here, in the natural. This is what's going to happen, okay? So Jesus comes, but that's when he starts talking about his kingdom. My kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom's not going to come in the ways that a kingdom normally comes. He starts talking about this spiritual kingdom. But we need to understand It's a ruler's, it's his announcement of victory over an enemy that the king still reigns on his throne. And when it comes to Jesus, that he is the king and he is going to establish his kingdom on the earth. So again, if you were in the army that was on the other side and you had sent out your army to take over another region, then that runner's gonna come back and say, good news, people, we've just had victory in this realm. Okay, we need to tell everyone we'll have victory over this place and, and our king is gonna be king of this new land that we've taken over, okay? And that is the announcement from heaven that Jesus has come and he has established his kingdom on the earth. That's why your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this in the same way that it is in heaven, it's going to come to the earth, amen? It is... The kingdom is the king's domain. So we talk about the gospel of the kingdom. It's the good news that Jesus is king and he has come to earth to set up his kingdom, his rule and reign on the earth and we as his people are ambassadors for this king. All right. So we get that. We're like, awesome, good. When you came to faith in Jesus, is that the gospel that was preached to you? Did someone stand up and say, I just want you to know Jesus is king and he's come to establish his rule and reign on the earth and is inviting you to come and rule with him in his new kingdom. You, you may have that, I, I hope that's the gospel that you heard. You may have heard a gospel that says, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell unless you repent of your sin But Jesus has come and he has paid the price for your sin so that today if you pray this prayer, you confess your sin, you accept him as Lord, one day you will go to heaven to be with him forever. Who was number one version? Who was number two version? Yeah, most people, okay. Now, is it true that Jesus came to die for your sin? He rose again, conquering Satan's sin and death, He's gone to be with the Father and one day he's returning and you will be with him forever. Is that true? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it's true. But is that the fullness of the gospel? No, it's not. Is that the gospel that Jesus preached? No, it's not. Okay. So that's two things that should cause us to ask questions and say, okay, if that's not the full message of the gospel, what is? And if that's not the gospel that Jesus preached, then what was the gospel that he preached? If it was good enough for Jesus to preach, then it should be good enough for us to preach and proclaim. And it also then means if I gave my life to Jesus on the premise of getting out of hell to get into heaven one day, then maybe the whole foundation of my journey with God has been built upon a limited foundation. And not the full foundation that He'd want me to have it built upon. And what we'd have is maybe what you would call the gospel of salvation versus the gospel of the kingdom. One is primarily about us and how it benefits us. The other is primarily about Jesus and how it benefits Him. Now, you can understand in our modern Western society or any society really, that if somebody came primarily giving me what's the benefit for me, well, that would kind of make sense If someone comes to your door to sell you a product, they're not gonna talk primarily about how their boss is going to benefit from this sale. You'd be like, "Uh, I don't really care about them. They're gonna tell you how it's gonna benefit you, how great it's gonna be for you, how it's gonna change your life. And you say, well, I guess, yes, it looks good for me. I'll take that. Are you gonna think again about that the boss and about how he's doing and the new Porsche that he's bought or anything like that. You don't care about those things. You're caring about, this is the benefit that I've got. I've got this new, amazing, fandangled product. Do you understand that if we're proclaiming a gospel that's primarily about people, it's not gonna necessarily lead them into living a life that's for Jesus. It's gonna cause them to keep living the same life that's for them. Well, I've been selfish and self-absorbed and consumed with my own self as being Lord, and you're offering me freedom from, going to, from being punished for all of that, I'll take it. It doesn't necessarily lead into Jesus being the Lord of my life in practical terms. It doesn't necessarily naturally lead into discipleship, which is really important. So this is how my brain works. I like to think and kind of zoom out from things and saying, are all the pieces lining up to give the best possible outcome? And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that I think I'm right. I'm saying, I think this is what Jesus was saying. And maybe as history has gone along, we've lost some of the intentionality of Jesus. We've made the door to Christianity wide open. And yet Jesus calls it a narrow road. He says, wide is the pathway that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to life. We've said, oh, yeah, it doesn't really matter. All you gotta do is pray a prayer, but it's a prayer that Jesus never called us to pray. He said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, if you wanna say, you wanna, you know, you gotta lose your life if you wanna have true life. If you wanna save your own life, go do that. You wanna follow me, it's gonna cost you everything. You you read the the gospel that Jesus preached, he made it really, really hard so that those who said yes knew what they were buying into and it caused them to get to the point where when their life was on the line, they still said yes to Jesus. I reckon if persecution came to a lot of the Western church, people would scatter and flee and deny their faith to save their life. You would not be a Christian today, I believe, if if Jesus preached the gospel that we preach today. Because the disciples wouldn't have cost themselves. They wouldn't have laid down their lives in the way that they did. To carry that message from household to household and town to town and city to city and nation to nation. Still today, I don't know the exact numbers, but literally thousands upon thousands of people are murdered for their faith in Jesus today. More people were, I'm pretty sure this is true, don't quote me, but from what I understand, more people were martyred for their faith in Jesus in the last 100 years than in every previous year since Christ combined. It's crazy, we're talking modern day, modern day, this is what's happening. But I wonder if someone came knocking on your door whether you'd have that same response. Are we willing to give our life for Jesus? Matthew 4, 23 talks of Jesus and he says, he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages uh, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So again, that's not just what Jesus did, but that's what he prophesies will happen before his return. That this gospel—well, what gospel? The gospel of the kingdom is going to be proclaimed. So he is a king, and he has a people, and he really longs for his people. But those people have got to look like him. That's his desire. It's not just that they would blindly follow him, but that they would look like him, that we are not just servants of God, we are children of God. We have multiple identities in the kingdom of God as his people. So I wanna talk to you about a synchronic versus a diachronic understanding of the gospel. I've jumped around through a different couple of different words here in terms of how to title it, but um, this is what I've landed on. Um, the word synchronic and diachronic it comes from when, we, when people study language and all of that sort of stuff this is my best understanding I didn't finish high school so I'm not that good with school stuff so this is the best I can do if you are, are hyper scholarly in these areas in English and all that sort of stuff you can, you can point me in the right direction but this is what I've got so amen is that okay all right So a synchronic approach considers uh, considers things at a particular moment in time without taking history into account. By contrast, a diachronic approach considers the development and evolution of something throughout all history. So the word chronos is the Greek word for time. When we talk about something being in chronological order, that's one event and then the next event in history, working along like that, okay? That's where we get the word, you know, for for watches and all of that sort of stuff, synchronized swimming, everything like that, so that at any moment things are in time. If you took a photo of of, uh, people doing synchronized swimming, if they're good, you took a snapshot in time, everyone's gonna be in the same position, okay? So if we look at the gospel and we look at it from a synchronic perspective, okay, we're gonna see a snapshot in time, all right, this is gonna—it's gonna start to make sense to you if it doesn't already. Um, so this is—if this is the timeline of history, okay—and then we have creation at one end, and new creation or new heavens and new earth at the other. I'm gonna have too many notes here. So we understand in the timeline of history that God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Yeah, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So if this is all of history, we have a point in time where God created and then we have a point in time where the new heavens and the new earth are going to come. Did you know that you're not gonna spend eternity in heaven according to the Bible? But I thought that's what I was told. Uh, Yeah, you were told wrong. No, no, you just weren't told the full picture. (laughs) That's That's what we think about. But that's the reality is that time's coming, you read about that a new heavens and a new earth are going to be established, that we will live in the new earth with Jesus. But the new earth will be just like heaven. Okay, he said, are you sure, Brad? Pretty sure that's not what I was told in Sunday school. Revelation 21, one to two, says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So when Jesus returns, he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? Oh, no, All good. All right, so we're looking from creation to new creation or new heavens and new earth. And then we have, see, if we look at a synchronic gospel, we're going to take a a snapshot of history. And this is probably the normal gospel picture that we know of. And what we have is the incarnation, okay? Incarnate, the uh, Latin word carne means flesh. So it is Jesus coming in the flesh, So the God of all creation who was there at creation then comes at a moment in time and he comes in the flesh in human form, okay? That is when Jesus is born, is the incarnation. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So that's the first part. Jesus came in bodily form on the earth in the incarnation. And then we have the crucifixion of Jesus. It's an arrow with a little cross line. You're so clever, Brad. Um, So we have incarnation, crucifixion. These are all shun words, just because, you know, we like that sort of stuff. So we have the crucifixion. So that is Christ being crucified, okay? Pivotal, significant moment in history, would you say? Absolutely. It's very, very significant. It's what we celebrate often without the cross... There would be nothing that is where our sin was paid for. Absolutely all good. And then we have the resurrection. So when Jesus was risen from the dead, again, a significant part of that whole redemptive part of the story. If he hadn't risen again, then we wouldn't be able to enter into new life with him. That is what baptism represents, the Apostle Paul speaks of, that we go under the water like we are dying. We come back out of the water as we are raised with Christ, symbolically into new life with him. And then we have the ascension, okay? So you all, I could, I'm not gonna read your scriptures about the crucifixion and resurrection. Hopefully we've, we've established that, okay? But uh, Acts 1.9, we have the ascension. It says, and when Jesus said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So he was lifted back up to heaven. He went from then earthly flesh up into heavenly flesh resurrected body. So this is after he had risen from the dead, after he had shared a meal with the disciples and spoke to different people, crowds, he had prophesied the coming of the Holy Spirit again, um, that's what we have there. All right, so this is, again, probably the normal gospel that is proclaimed to people. You might have seen it with like a, a two cliff faces and the cross comes down, you wander across separated from God and then, you know, all that sort of stuff. So is that, is that good news? Yes, it is. Absolutely it is. Is it part of the gospel? Absolutely it is. Is it the fullness of the gospel? No, it's not. Only because it's not the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. If you read the letters of Paul, Paul would seem to focus a bit more on these parts of the story, okay? But he also talks a lot about the restoration of all things, which is the fullness of the story. So this is a synchronic reading or understanding of the gospel. And then we move into diachronic, so this is, now I don't know why, oh, I changed it, it's not in line, oh, disappointment, <laughs> OCD, um. <laughs> um. so, <laughs> yes, it is, oh, No, I'm not going to drop the mic, because I got told off last week for accidentally dropping the mic, I didn't get told off, you know what I'm saying, anyway, I redid it, and then I moved it across. But, so we've got creation. That lines up. That arrow loops around. It's just, it's just hard to see in the blue. It loops around and points to where creation is. Anyway, so this is a diachronic understanding of the gospel. So we have creation. Then we have the fall. So the fall of man, Adam and Eve. And then we have... Redemption, even this part, that's supposed to be pointing to that whole group. That's the redemptive part of the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension of Christ is God's redemptive plan for humanity. That's the beginning, that's the establishment of God's kingdom on the earth. That is where humanity is redeemed so that we can come out of our old ways and into our new creation identity and start to live for Him. And then ultimately we have the restoration of all things. So a time has come in where God is going to restore all things back to his original design, which is what we find in Eden. So you can't know the ultimate plan of God until you go back to the beginning. What was the plan of God? It was that Adam and Eve would be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth, bring order to the chaos of creation, rule and reign as his children on the earth. They gave away that authority when they ate of the tree of life, No, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, Jesus. Good to see, good to see. So we need to understand that going from beginning, God had a plan. Now, God knew that in the plan, there would have had to have been a redemption. The the Bible says, I don't know how you figure this out, but Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. Okay, So God knew in the process there's going to be a need for redemption but ultimately there's going to be a creation and then there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. We're not talking about new creation of a person but the ultimate fulfilment of God's plan. So you say, well this is good Brad. Um, what's, what's, what's the, what, what more does this mean? Why is this so significant? Okay. Well if we look at that middle section... And the primary aspect of that, I would say it's primarily about, when it comes to the personal, it's primarily about extraction, okay? It's an extraction gospel. It talks ma- mainly about what am I saved from? So I'm saved from punishment, I'm saved from hell, I'm saved from eternal torment. It's about really getting me out of this place as, as quickly as I can, okay? Now, you may have heard it said, and I would agree that... Um, If God wanted you, if God just wanted you to go to heaven, you'd be dead by now. You'd you'd pray a prayer, He'd strike you down, then you wouldn't make any mess going on (laughs) for the rest of your life and you'd be there. Awesome, done, all good. But He doesn't want that. He doesn't want you in heaven, He wants heaven to earth. That is the prayer of Jesus. Again, it's like if we're in a room and we're all praying and then we stopped and Jesus started praying, I would be paying attention to what Jesus prayed probably more than what you prayed. And you might pray a fantastic prayer. You could prophesy great things, but if Jesus prayed, I'd be listening to Jesus. So we know in his prayer, there's gotta be some significant things that he's saying in his prayer. And one of the really significant things that he says in his prayer is that His that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done. That is the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. So the reason that you are here is to help to establish the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ. So if a synchronic gospel is primarily focused around extraction, then a diachronic understanding of the gospel is primarily about immersion. So it's not about what am I saved from, it's what am I saved into. So salvation opens the doorway for me to enter into the reality of the kingdom now and to be partnered in with God in this restoration of all things that He is bringing about on the earth. If you imagine, it's like being you know, swept into the river of all that God's doing. And uh, we have in the book of John where it talks about being uh, grafted into the vine. John 15, one to five, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. I'm actually part of the story from creation all the way to the restoration of all things. I have a part to play. I'm part of God's plan of bringing about His kingdom on the earth. I'm part of this army of God doing the purposes and the plans and fulfilling the, everything that God has for us. I'm into, I've been brought into that process. So I'm not just saying, well, I've just grabbed salvation and one day I will ultimately go to heaven. It's like a snapshot in time say, so, there was a snapshot in time where I said yes to Jesus and there'll be a time coming later in life where I'll go to be with Him. But the focus isn't on what happens in between. The gospel of the kingdom has a lot of focus on what happens in between. Jesus wasn't concerned about getting you to heaven, He was concerned about getting heaven into you and into the earth. That's why you're here, that's why you exist, that's why God hasn't taken you to heaven already because he has a plan for your life and it's not about you. As the Apostle Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. So when we say yes to that, the, the, the doorway into life with God is through the death of Jesus. You dying with him spiritually, entering into that reality. I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I don't live my life anymore. I live Jesus' life. I live the life that if he was on earth and he was in my body, what would he do? That is the life that he's called you to live. If we focus on just that bit, then we will, it doesn't naturally lead people into that journey. But if we preach the fullness of the gospel, that we understand that, God has had a plan from creation until the restoration of all things and you are part of that plan and without Jesus, without the cross and the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, you would not be able to partner in with that but absolutely you have a plan. God is restoring all things and that includes us. Jesus is restoring all things. That is the plan. Uh, Acts 3.21 says, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So we are moving towards the restoration of all things and we are partnered in with God in that restoration. Where does restoration start? It starts in us. If I am saved and I'm justified and everything is good with God, why does it matter whether or not I'm more righteous tomorrow than what I am today? I've already got what I said yes to Jesus for, and that's eternal salvation. Like, well, why does it really matter if I sin? Why do I need to get on the heart journey? Like, why does it really matter if I do any of those things? Because I'm going to heaven one day. That's why I said yes to him, because someone said, do you wanna go to heaven one day? I said, yes. I don't wanna be in eternal punishment. I wanna be in, I guess, if, you know, it's not much of a decision, really. (laughs) You know? It's like, would you like a lolly or would you like me to punch you in the face? I choose lolly every time. It's like with kids, you know? Well, I gave you a choice. You can get a smack or you can go and apologise to your brother or sister. Oh, which one do I choose? All right, I do remember one time driving in the car with Noah. He was, was, I don't know how old he was, four or five years old. And he was doing something, I think he might have been kicking the back of the chair, something like that. I said, Noah, I've told you to stop doing that. If you, if you keep doing that, you're gonna get a consequence. Oh, he's just there, <laughs> awkward. Um, but I said to him, I said, you're gonna get a consequence. And he's like, what will the consequence be? <sighs> so he's weighing up now. Hmm, well, I'm enjoying annoying you right now. I'm enjoying the reaction it's getting. I'm enjoying kicking your chair. So now let me weigh up will it be worth it to carry on? And so I was able to explain to him. I said, oh, okay. Well, no, the point isn't about weighing up about the consequence. The point is that you would want to obey because you love me and you want to do the right thing. And so then he's like, okay, Dad, I'll stop kicking your chair. Oh, yeah. Yes. Unlike like Abigail, which I've told the story before. When I bought her a kazoo and uh, we're out having Daddy Day and I I was at a music store for some reason, bought her a kazoo and she played that kazoo all day, all day, and we we're driving down the road, and I said, and it to the point, and I said, okay, Abigail. I mean, a, a kazoo is a beautiful sounding instrument, don't get me wrong, um, but just too much of it, and I said, Abigail, that's enough now. She keeps playing, Abigail, I said, that's enough. She keeps going, I said, Abigail, if you don't stop playing that kazoo, I'm gonna break it in half. And she responded, I'll break you in half. <laughs> Does that sound like your sister, Noah? It does, yeah, he knows. He's imagining, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. So then laughter, you know, breaks out, and then you can't, you can't, you know, you can't carry on disciplining when you're laughing that much. So well done. <laughs> oh, she tricked me. Um, Errol, what we're talking about? Oh, yes, the, the, our inclination to want to do that. So what's the point of, of doing those things? There is no point in pursuing righteousness because I've got the goal okay which is heaven one day when jesus comes to a person though what he's he's not offering for you to go to heaven one day he's offering the reality of himself now he's like i am here and i want to give myself to you i want to live in oneness you and i in oneness like me and the father are in oneness that's what it talks about in the book of john amazing stuff but, we, but see, it's not natural. Whereas if I understand I'm part of this, I've been grafted into the vine and I'm part of this restoration. Well, Jesus, you're making me more like you because you love me. And I want to experience more of your reality now. And because you have saved me, you've invited me into this intimate fellowship with you. I want to be part of what you're doing on the earth to establish your kingdom. That is worth giving my life for. So here's three realities. The first is, in our, on our journey with Jesus, that we are justified. So it's justification, which is, if you, you know the saying, just as if I'd never sinned. So you are justified in Jesus. Roman 10.10, 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So that means that you, are, you have right standing with God. When you say yes to Jesus, you have right standing with God. You don't get punished for your sin. You get disciplined because He loves you. He still invites you to pursue righteousness, but you are not. nothing can separate you from the love of God anymore. You are unpunishable by God because Jesus has already been punished on your behalf and you've accepted that. You've received, you, okay, Lord, Jesus, you've received all the punishment that I deserve. So God's not gonna punish Jesus and then turn around and go, I'm gonna punish you as well. No, no, because He's already paid the price for my sin. He's taken the punishment that I deserve. The propitiation for my sins. That's like the outpouring of wrath, if you're interested, which clearly you're not. Um, So justified, I am justified. I am being sanctified. So we are on this process of this new creation, identity and reality that was established when I was born again, but there's this outworking of that finished work of Jesus, that my soul, that my mind has been renewed, that my soul is coming into alignment My will, my desires are coming into alignment with who I am now in Christ. Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So I am positionally justified and I'm being progressively sanctified. I'm daily being washed by God. My old mindsets are falling off. I'm putting on the new self. I'm taking off the old self. This is all the language of the New Testament of what it is to follow Jesus. I'm living in a new way and I'm putting away the former things. Yeah, so we understand this, this journey. It doesn't mean that I'm more saved next week than I was last week. No, I'm, I'm, I've, been, I've received salvation. But now I am working out my salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in me to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is delighting. I'm not working on my sin because God's angry with me. I'm working on my sin because he is delighted to work with me to bring me into a greater measure of freedom and life with him. It's joyous. If you get convicted of your sin, rejoice. If you get confronted, like rejoice. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, because sin leads to death. Righteousness leads to life. You're not angry with me. It's your delight to say, son, You're going down a path of destruction. I love you so much that I don't want you to go in that way. So I'm gonna confront you about it or I'm gonna send someone else to confront you about it. Now again, if we're we're doing that, even choosing to go down that way because our conscience has been seared or our heart has become hard, then He's gonna come and confront us. Maybe we've stepped into pride, then God's gonna humiliate us because He loves us so much that He'd be willing time and time again because he is so faithful and he is so humble that he would continue to pursue even us as, as, as followers of Jesus when we go our own way. He loves us so much that he'll go after the one sheep. That's how good he is. But we need to understand that we're not just waiting for one day for him to come back. We are with him now. Now is the reality. If we talk about the importance of knowing the Holy Spirit, it's because that is the way that we know him today. It's not so we can you know, pray in tongues and you know, have spiritual encounters and roll around on the floor laughing. That's just like the extra stuff that goes on. That's not significant. It's that we can know Him. It's that we get to know Him. Now, sometimes you know, the presence, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. So if you are rolling around laughing and you're experiencing the fullness of joy, you're experiencing God, and that is part of His kingdom. His kingdom is righteousness, peace, and Joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're a sad sack and a sourpuss, you're not experiencing the fullness of the kingdom. So it's okay to laugh sometimes and be joyous and to be filled with the Spirit in that way. But it's not all about those external things. It's the Holy Spirit is that we can know Him, that we get to know Him intimately. I love radical manifest Holy Spirit encounters. They're great. But like anything, I can chase the gift and not the giver. So even in the most radical Holy Spirit encounters, we can get so consumed with those things and we miss, oh, that's right, Jesus. It's not about what you have to give me. It's about you. You are the gift. We are being sanctified and we will be glorified. Romans eight seventeen. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him In order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's just gloss over that word suffer very quickly, Brad. Doesn't sound like the Christianity that was preached to me. Suffering. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have said yes. Well, that's true. And maybe you should have said no. (laughs) Because suffering is part of your journey with God. Like simply. Saying yes to the Holy Spirit to change me means I'm gonna suffer. It means he's gonna confront me about things that I wanna do that he doesn't want me to do. Or he's gonna ask me to do things that I don't wanna do that he wants me to do. That's suffering, it's confliction internally, externally. And I'm not even talking about radical like dying, literally dying for Jesus. Just living for him is hard. It's gonna contain suffering. Amen? oh Oh no. All right, pause it there. So is that kind of making sense why we need to understand the fullness of the picture and not part? We don't wanna be extraction Christians, we wanna be immersion Christians. We wanna be part of the everyday reality with God. And this is it, you know, oftentimes the gospel that preach and, and what we proclaim as successes, we've had conversions. People have, converted to Christianity. Is that good? Absolutely it is. But that is literally the starting line. If you watched a race and there were eight people lined up on the lanes and the gun goes off and everyone launches and you'd be, woo, done, I'm going home now. The race got started. Let's celebrate. Well, no, no, one, no one's really, I mean, it's good to watch the start, but you, you're watching the race and the running and the battle and then the crossing the finish line. Conversion is simply the starting line. Discipleship is... The pathway, that is the the running race and restoration is the finish line. It's the end game that we need to be focused on. So do we wanna see people say yes to Jesus? Absolutely, as long as they're saying yes to him and to his kingdom and yes to discipleship. Not to saying yes, well yeah, of course I'm going to come forward and pray a prayer. I don't want to go to hell and you've convinced me enough that hell is scary enough and it's real enough that I don't want that. But, like, do we really think that's honoring Jesus to to preach to people in that way? Oh, and I'm saying, because we've had generations of Christians converted under this preaching of the gospel. And And what I don't want to take away is the significance of people saying yes to Jesus, as long as they're saying yes to Jesus and not yes to heaven one day, not yes to the personal benefit, but yes to Him. So no wonder then we have generations of, of people that just leave the church. Because they find out, yeah, it's just the activities that just get too tiring, it's just too, there's too much going on, I'm busy, I'm all this and whatever. There's no personal relationship encounter. There's no willingness to cost themselves for the sake of Jesus. Because the only reason they said yes is so that they can receive a free gift for one day. Not now, how is it impacting my life now? I remember when we used to help out with a, like a food ministry program and, uh, and the, the church that was running it. And they just kept talking about, man, we've had more people got saved today and all this sort of stuff. And, and I got concerned because I'm like, who's discipling these people? Who's actually saying, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because the problem is you say, do you, want, do you wanna know Jesus? Yes, do you wanna go to heaven? Yes, let's pray a prayer. And they pray and they might be fully, genuinely, yes to God. And then Nothing. And then the problem is if no one disciples them says, let me show you how to live life with Jesus. Let me walk with you in discipleship, to disciple you, to show you how to obey Jesus in everyday life, to experience being immersed in the reality of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If people aren't journeying with people like that, the problem is they pray a prayer, then there's nothing. And then later on, you might come and say, hey, have you heard of Jesus? I gave Jesus a try, I prayed a prayer, nothing changed. My life just stayed the same. It stayed hard and horrible and abuse and destruction. I gave Jesus a go and it just didn't wasn't for me. I'm like, oh, you, you surely you didn't meet Jesus. Surely you, in the same way that you came for a free hamper of food, you came for a you said yes to a free salvation one day, a free ticket to heaven. But I said, would you like? Do you want to meet Jesus? I know it was one of the Wesleys. I don't know if it was John or Charles. But when they used to um, Invite people to follow Jesus, and again, I'm all for praying for people, even praying a prayer that says, "I commit my life to following Jesus every day for the rest of my life." We've got to pray that. But what they would do is they would bring someone forward, and they would sit them on a seat, and they would pray for them, and they would wait for that person to have a witness of the Holy Spirit. They would pray, and they'd pray for hours on end. And if finally they just got too tired, they said, "Have you had any experience with the Holy Spirit?" The person said, "No." Then they say, "You're not. We don't believe that you're saved." Come back next week and we'll pray for you again. We put an experience of the Holy Spirit sometimes so far down the track of someone's journey. So far down that they might not even get to that place on their journey. It's so absent from their normal kind of Christian experience. Yeah, you know, for these guys, like what well, he is real. He's the Spirit of God. Okay the fullness of God, and He's gonna set up home in you, if you expect to not have an experience of that, then I don't know who this God is that you're talking about. But if He's powerful enough to create everything that you see and experience right now, and He's setting up His home in you, you better believe you're gonna have some sort of experience with Him. Now again, it's not all about getting all caught up in the experiences. Christianity is supposed to be an experiential reality that we enter into. Certainly was for the New Testament church. Very experiential. They literally formed their theology around the experiences that people had. When they thought the gospel was only for the Jews. And then all of a sudden they're preaching to Gentiles, the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They start prophesying, praying in tongues like what happened at Pentecost. And they say, hold on a second, our theology is wrong. The gospel is for the Gentiles. and That's when the Apostle Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles and all that sort of stuff. But it's, it's, it was experiential reality. So conversion is important. Someone's saying yes to Jesus, but it's the pathway for the rest of their life that is most significant. You know, our significance is about us being in Christ as much as it is about Christ being in us. We are grafted into his vine. Jesus isn't grafted into your vine. So I want you to know, when I spoke last time and I talked about all the responsibilities in life, Jesus doesn't get grafted onto the vine of your life. So I'm over here, don't forget me. Don't forget to give me 10 minutes of your day, 15 if you're really spiritual. He's like, no, 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 you have been taken out, you've been grafted into my vine. Now all of your life comes from your abiding in me. All of the good fruit in your life comes from whether or not you abide in me. And even when you abide in me, guess what? You start producing fruit. I'm gonna prune you so that you produce more fruit. But your fruitfulness only comes from your faithfulness to abide in him. I'm just gonna read from Romans 8, 14 to 24. 24. It says, the mature children of God, mature children of God, are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. It says, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into fear of never being good enough. If you fear never being good enough, you don't know the gospel. You're having an experience of another spirit not the Spirit of God. I'm not saying you don't have the Spirit of God. I'm saying you're listening to a voice that is not the Spirit of God. You did not receive the Spirit of religious duty. You know, you received the Holy Spirit, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the Spirit of full acceptance. Amen. Enfolding you into the family of God. And you'll never feel orphaned. For as He rises up within us, our spirits join Him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as He whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are His true children, we qualify to share all His treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God Himself, And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided we accept his sufferings as our own. And I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against this will, the universe itself had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth and it's not just creation we who have already experienced the first fruits of the spirit also inwardly grown as we passionately long to experience our full status as god's sons and daughters including our physical bodies being transformed for this is the hope of our salvation it's romans 8:14 to 24 it's in the bible it's good stuff amen hallelujah All right, so now we're talking about the kingdom now. There is a reality of the now and the not yet kingdom, okay? There are things and different um, theological traditions will put some things in the future and some things in today and there'll always be contention over those things. What's for now and what's for then, okay? Wherever there is a contention though, so we say, well, we know the Holy Spirit's for now, okay? And and there's some things, well, my resurrection body is, is for then, I don't feel like I have it now. (laughs) I certainly hope not. (laughs) Because if this is it, this is a raw deal. Um, So there is what is for now and there's what is to come. For me, I I tend to lean more towards if it's not for now, then it's not gonna be received now. But I want to decide, oh, that's probably for later, so I won't go after it. I'm gonna go after everything. And God will determine, sorry, son, that's actually not for now, that's for future. Okay, but I'm gonna long for everything from God. So the fulfillment is to come, but our role now is to work towards that. Okay, so we say ultimately there's gonna be a full restoration of all things. So then what's really the point of restoring things now? Well, because that is the heart of God as a restorer, as a redeemer, that as you are transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus you live with a mindset and a heart intentionality to restore and redeem all things because that's God's heart and he's going to give you his heart so then your heart is naturally I want to restore everything I want to redeem all things because that's the heart of God to do that that's why he has the restoration of all things but he's in that process now so it would be very natural for you to look at things I want to restore that I want to redeem that I want to be redeemed and restored myself and be on that journey Immaturity says I'll sit back and wait. Maturity says I will steward what he has given me. It's like if somebody prophesied over you, you're gonna be so incredibly wealthy one day. You could think, and I think an immature person would go, ha, sweet, I'm gonna squander all of my money now. It doesn't really matter what I do because one day I'm gonna be super wealthy. So I don't need to to save. What's the point in saving? What's the point in doing all of those things? I'm just gonna blow it all because one day I'll be wealthy. Whereas a mature person would say, well, I'm gonna steward what I have now. So when the time comes, not only will I be in a position of honour, but I'll actually be able to steward then what He gives me in that time. That's a mature heart. So you can say, well, ultimately, you know, what's the point? Where's it going to? Well, I'm gonna pursue righteousness. I'm gonna pursue Christ. I'm gonna pursue His fullness. I'm gonna pursue heaven coming to earth in its fullest measure that could possibly happen by me on this earth in the short life that I have to live. Because He is worth it. It's His desire and I wanna fulfil His desires. All right, I just want to share with you maybe some misconceptions between the two. So, what you might think of the, the gospel, and uh, maybe what a truer version is. So, the gospel of salvation, maybe versus the gospel of the kingdom. So, a gospel of salvation is primarily about a ticket to heaven one day, whereas a gospel of the kingdom is is Berber. <laughs> ticket to, to heaven one day versus invitation into kingdom reality now. So it's not, it's not heaven to come, it's heaven today. The gospel of salvation is about avoiding punishment and hell, whereas the gospel of the kingdom is about intimate daily fellowship with God. It's not about avoiding anything, it's about experiencing a now reality. And if Jesus paid the price, then I get to enjoy intimate daily fellowship with Him today. A gospel of salvation is about avoiding sin and trying to be a good person. A gospel of the kingdom is about pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness. Again, it's not about avoiding things and just trying to not do bad. I'll just try and be a good person. I'll just try not to do bad things. Whereas Jesus invites, no, you gotta pursue my kingdom and righteousness. Go hard after those things. Don't try and sit on the fence not being bad. Go after the fullness and the righteousness of God. A gospel of salvation is, is that I'm saved out of pain and bondage. A gospel of the kingdom is that I'm saved into His kingdom and life. Again, what can happen is in our um, comfort culture that we live in, in Western comfort culture, we live trying to avoid pain and try just, we just wanna get out of things and avoid suffering and all of that sort of stuff, where Jesus is saving us into life and into His kingdom. It's not about the selfish motivation that, oh, I guess I wanna get some healing so I don't feel bad all the time. No, I wanna step into the fullness of what it is to experience God. The gospel of salvation is where salvation is the gift. Woo, I jumped ahead. And the gospel of the kingdom is where Jesus is the gift. The gospel of salvation, I'm extracted from earth, The gospel of the kingdom, I'm immersed into his kingdom here and now. A gospel of salvation is focus is individual, whereas the gospel of the kingdom, the focus is always corporate. Now you are an individual, but you are also part of the corporate global body of Christ. Your life is not your own. You don't get to decide everything. Jesus gets to decide everything about your life. If he is truly Lord, he'll decide everything. It doesn't mean you need to go crazy about, what should I have for breakfast, Jesus? He gives you freedom and he gives you a brain and he gives you wisdom, yes? But there is an aspect of my life is connected to something much bigger than just me. Gospel of salvation, Jesus is the Lord of my future. Whereas the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus is the Lord of all today and forever. The gospel of salvation is what am I saved from. The gospel of the kingdom is about what am I saved into. The gospel of salvation is that I inherit salvation. The gospel of the kingdom is I inherit the kingdom of God. The gospel of salvation is primarily all about me and the gospel of the kingdom is all about Jesus. And that is the kicker, that is the mark, that is the thing that will determine the outcome of your life. If you think that Christianity is primarily about you, you've got it all wrong. It's all about Jesus. It always has been and it always will be, which might mean that sometimes you don't get the priority because Jesus gets the priority. You don't get to do what you do because he wants you to do what he wants you to do. So as we talk about going back to some of these basic things, I feel like it's so important that we understand, but as we move forward, what are we stepping into? And if you don't feel like you're a disciple of Jesus today, I wanna give you an opportunity to say yes to being a disciple of Jesus. Or you might wanna say no. I would be okay with you saying no to being a disciple of Jesus, because it's better than being fooled into thinking you're something that you're not. I don't, I don't hope that for anybody. But in the same way that, you know, the witches that send people home and say, come back next week. And oftentimes these people, they would go home and they'd have a dream, they'd have an encounter, they'd have an experience with the Holy Spirit and they'd have a witness of His presence. But we don't wanna be fooled into thinking we're something that we're not. I'd rather be confronted with you rather say, I'm not, but I want to be, I desire to be, and I'm gonna say yes to that reality. An extraction gospel can more naturally lead to immature Christians awaiting death to be with Jesus one day, where an immersion gospel more naturally leads to mature Christians engaging in life with Jesus today. That's what will change and transform the world. They're the kind of people that will disciple nations. If you can't can't disciple yourself, if you can't be a disciple of yourself, how are you gonna fulfill the great commission to go and disciple nations? We have, to, we have to be taking this sort of stuff seriously and understand, oh, that's the point of my life, is to be transformed into His likeness. And is it all your work? It's not a bit of your work. Guess what you have to do? You have to yield. Sometimes that takes a lot of work. <laughs> Anyone? Yep, yep. <laughs> Yielding is hard work. But it's the Spirit of God who works in you. It's God who works in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's delightful. It can be, it doesn't sometimes feel like that, but you can find delight in the midst of that. The Apostle Paul, when he writes his letters on joy in the midst of suffering, he's writing from a dirty, disgusting prison. Worse than any prison, probably not, he was, probably wasn't playing Xbox or anything like that. You know? Like, it's horrible, but you, there's joy to be found in that. And when you know Him, when you know Jesus, when you know the Holy Spirit, when you're having those realities of encounters with a whole nother realm, and you're bringing that reality to earth, that's a whole different way to live with Jesus. But if we're gonna move forward and then and then see people saved, I wanna see, I wanna see thousands, hundreds of however many people Jesus wants to see saved, okay, come into salvation, become disciples through this community. But I want him to come into discipleship, otherwise, he doesn't get the glory. The person gets the benefit of a ticket to heaven, but he doesn't get the glory of his children being released on the earth. Creation doesn't get it because they're groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Not for the orphans of God to take the free gift and go and squander their life and then one day hopefully get to heaven. It's not the life that God has for us. But children... Sons and daughters of God being raised up, that's when creation is delighted, like, yes, that's what creation's gonna cheer on because that's how it's gonna be released from its decay. It's only when the children of God rise up, the sons and daughters of God rise up, but that's gonna take some work of you coming out of being an orphan and us coming into sonship. It's a work, it's a journey. It's a lifelong journey of discipleship. Discipleship is not a two-week course. Some of you are doing the Alpha course. That's not discipleship. That's part of discipleship. You complete the Alpha course. Awesome, good foundational principles. Now it's the practice of living those things for the rest of your life. Being transformed, literally being transformed into His likeness. I know many people in, in this church that have been transformed. Transformed, their lives have been transformed. They are not the same as what they were a year ago, two years ago. The things that they used to do, they would never even consider doing, not because they know how bad it was, because there's nothing in them that would even desire to do those things. I love um, what Chris Valentin says, if you believe you're a sinner, then you'll sin as an act of faith. So we're not, no, no, I'm, I'm no longer a sinner. I've been brought out of sin and I've been made righteous in Christ. So now I'm gonna live as though that is my reality. But I'm gonna walk that out in my everyday life. Amen? I'm gonna stop preaching and we're gonna start praying. So won't you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, Jesus, we come before you in weakness. We come before you in humility, Lord. And Father, I pray Any word, God, that was spoken today from my mouth that is not your truth, Lord, let it fall to the ground now and just produce nothing, Lord. We want your truth, God. But Father, we wanna hear even hard words that would conflict us, Lord, that we might know the truth, God, because it is truth that will set us free, Lord. We don't wanna live in lies. We don't wanna live in cultural bondage of our history, Lord. We wanna know the truth today. So we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come now and convict our hearts, Lord? Come now and renew our minds, Holy Spirit. Father, where we have maybe built our lives on a foundation that was not full and not complete, so then it hasn't lived, uh, we haven't lived then a life of discipleship to you, Jesus. If we've just been waiting around passively for one day when you will return or one day we'll go home with you, we repent, Jesus. Because we've not taken up the full good news of your kingdom, Lord, that is a now reality, God. So we say, Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, come and change the foundation, Lord. Lord, that you would go down to the root systems, Lord, of our beliefs, God. And Father, where we have had our eyes fixed on one day, something will happen, Lord, that you would fix our eyes on the now of today, of what you are doing here and now in our lives, that you would not be Lord of our future, but you would be Lord of our present, God. We say, Jesus, come and be Lord of my present. Jesus, come and be Lord of my present, Lord. Jesus, come and be Lord of my present day. From now on, every day for the rest of my life, I say yes to you, Holy Spirit, coming and manifesting yourself in my heart, Lord, in my mind and in my life. We say yes to you. We yield to your Lordship, Holy Spirit in our lives. You are the Spirit of God. You are the Spirit of Christ. You have chosen to indwell us and we wanna live in alignment and in accordance with you, Holy Spirit. We repent, Jesus, for where we have limited you, where we have limited your ability to transform us, where we have limited your ability to transform this earth, God, where our eyes have been selfishly focused on what is the benefit to me and not what is the benefit for you, Jesus. Jesus, we wanna give the whole of our lives to you, that you might live in us and through us, Jesus. Us no longer living for ourselves, but living for you, Jesus. And everything that we do would be for your glory. For your glory, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that there is no punishment for us who are in Christ. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ, Lord. No matter how long we may have journeyed in one way, we thank you, Jesus, that you are directing us in the right path, Lord. But Father, we do not put our our faith in the words of Brad or in the words of any other person speaking. We put our faith in you, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would even help us to search out the Scriptures, Lord. Have a personal conviction of you, Holy Spirit, that we might choose you, Lord, Not be convinced by words of a person, Lord, but be convinced by your word, Holy Spirit, because you are the one that will direct us in our daily life. You are Lord Jesus. No person, no church, but you, Jesus. You are Lord Jesus. And we yield ourselves to you. We give our lives to you as Lord. And we ask for your grace to walk every day As your disciples, Jesus, being transformed into your likeness, obeying your word, and experiencing and tasting the beautiful sweet fruit of fellowship and faithfulness to you. We love you, God. We bless you. And we receive everything that you have for us today and now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. I think I preached for a long time